Welcome to Read My Lips Radio, a lively hour of unscripted conversations with savvy creatives. Producer and host, a.k.a. Radio Red, asks novelists, artists, photographers, designers, comedians, actors, musicians, composers, screenwriters, directors, and technology innovators about their creative passion, inspirational muses, and how they create. Ooh, how those lips can talk. Now, here's AKA Radio Red. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Happy to be here. We're live streaming on Facebook. Always happy to be here on Monday nights. This is Read My Lips. Used to be up close and personal. I changed it to a show focusing on people who are creative. Now, I'll give a little shout out to my listeners. If you think you're creative because you eat Rice Krispies Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and you switch to, I don't know, uh, sugar-coated flakes or Tony the Tiger cereal on Thursday, that's not creativity. That's just changing up the routine. These are creative people. They think creatively. They write. They think. They speak. They dance. They paint. They photograph, whatever. I've spoken to so many interesting people from all over the world, and I'm very happy to have two very, very special guests. But before we start, gentlemen, Chris Hadnagy is my guest, and John T. Bowell. I'll spell their names in a few minutes. We have a little housekeeping to do. We have to do a shout-out to LLL. That's lovely, lanky Laura Legs, my most loyal <laughs> listener. And we're still taking up a GoFundMe to move her from... Whitestone, New York, to London, because it has to all be L. So Chris and John, on the count of three, I'm going to say, one, two, three, let's say, hello, LLL. One, two, three. Hello, LLL. Oh, LLL. I hope you're watching us on Facebook. We've got two really interesting and good-looking guys here tonight. Thank you very much. We are live. It's February 15th, in case you're wondering, and I'm not sure if you are. It is, let's see, it's the 26th day of the Gregorian calendar, no, it's not. It's much more than that. It's February. We're somewhere in uh, about 50-something day. I didn't update mm. this. And it's the seventh Monday in 2021. And all I'll say is there is about 300 days left in 2021. So if you're planning on something bubbly and celebratory, if it's going to be a better year, we sure hope so than last year. For New Year's Eve, you can start either making it in the bathtub or in the sink in the garage or in the still or go to a liquor store and reserve something special for New Year's Eve on the verge of 2022. It's a ways away, but it goes fast. So let me tell you who my guests are. First, Chris Hadnagy came to me from Harper Collins, Harper Business, actually. He's a global security expert. He's a master hacker, and he's going to define what a hacker is. And it's not some kid sitting on the edge of a bed in some other country where they're very cold who's doing terrible things to the world. He's talking about the good kind, and, and he'll explain. And there's a pledge in his book you'll have to hear about. He's the founder and CEO of Social-Engineer, that's Social with a hyphen engineer, LLC. And Chris has created the popular Social Engineer podcast, which I understand also has a website and a newsletter. He designed something called Advanced Practical Social Engineering. In case you're wondering, this is the first hands-on social engineering training course and certification. It's intended for law enforcement, military, and private professionals. But along the way, he decided to write a book about what he's doing to take his knowledge to the masses. And the book is called, we're going to talk about it today, Human Hacking. Win friends, influence people, and leave them better off for having met you. And it was just released in January 2021, about five weeks ago. Chris Hadnegi, welcome. And how are you? Just a brief hello to everybody. That is an awesome introduction. Thank you for having me here. I'm doing great. Well, thank you. Your bio is much longer than that, but I had to pick a little bit. I'm and glad just, you did. <laughs> let me get John introduced here, and then I'm going to have you each tell a little bit more about what you do. John Thibault, and he spells his name T-H-I-B-A-U-L-T. It's French. 
Paul say. Yes. He played in a teen rock band. You're thinking, okay, well, what's he done since then? Well, I'll tell you. He has written 21 screenplays. He has won acclaim in over 50 film festivals and screenplay contests. He's written three novels. We're going to talk about his novels. We've got some cool mystery writing here. And you know I love thrillers. A book of poetry and many articles. As I said, his screenplays have won awards. He's the author of the mystery thrillers Ghost Town deadly serious and a book we're not going to talk about today but i have to mention it the number one international bestseller how to change a law which won the 2017 reader's favorite gold medal so we're calling this show today embracing your inventive creativity or inventing your creativity but my two gentlemen guests today i believe have invented things to share with the world they haven't just created they've invented because there's so much so much depth to what they do i'm just babbling on here chris hadnagy i'm gonna spell his last name h-a-d-n-a-g-y and we'll give out his website in a few minutes or any number of websites you may have chris chris i mentioned you're a global security expert master hacker i'm going to put you on speaker view for a couple minutes here why don't you do a little deep dive into your bio and tell us what is a master hacker and what's the good part versus the part we are told to be aware of. Chris Hadnegi, go ahead. Well, a master hacker is, for me at least, I get paid to break into companies physically, to actually go to their buildings and break in or to send them phishing emails or to call their employees and get their passwords or social security numbers or date of birth. And you may say, why would anyone pay you to do that? Uh, it's think of it like a physical from your doctor. You go to your doctor and you say, hey, I want to make sure I don't have any disease. Can you run some tests? And he sticks fingers and needles in places you don't like. And then he comes back and says, hey, let's fix this or you're doing great. And that's what we do for companies. They hire us to come break into their facility. And when we are successful, we tell them how they can fix it. So the real bad guys can't break in. And I've been doing this now for about a decade and a half. And in that time, decided to take the skills to a whole nother level, like you mentioned in teaching the average a day person to use these. Very interesting. Chris, when we think of hackers, and you mentioned breaking into facilities, I have to commend you. Your book starts out with what sounds like something John would have written. John, his book is so mysterious and so sinister sounding, and they are driving off a road that goes for miles, and they're driving near a gully, and they're bringing a ladder, a metal ladder, and they're hoping nobody sees them, and they're climbing a fence and taking down the barbed wire so they can get in, and they've already done some human hacking, and they know the past words and they know where the windows are and the doors are and the guard cycle and where the lights are. Am I, am I hitting it pretty well, Chris? hundred percent. Yeah. You, it sounds like you were there. I read the book. Oh, no, <laughs> not, not me. I'm scared. But anyway, a very, very interesting. You started it out like a mystery novel. And was that a, a, a decision by you, your editor, say, I'm going to write this just like I'm writing a novel John would have written, but I'm yeah. going to talk about my practice of human hacking. Just quickly, what, what was your thought on that one? That's I loved I got- it. I got the privilege of working with uh, my writer, Seth Schulman, and he had never heard about this industry before. So he started off by saying, you know, tell me some of your stories. So I was telling him the story because it was one of the most recent ones. And uh, this was a fully armed facility and there were, you know, guards everywhere. And I'm telling him about how we got to the gate and we had to drive through the desert and all this. And he goes, wait, that we need to start the book off with that. And I'm like, well, okay, it's an okay story, but I have like dozens of others like it. And when he wrote it, I went, like, this is amazing. (laughs) You made me sound super cool. And he's like, no, this is what you do, man. I just didn't, I never put it into words. So he took all the things that I said and he made them 
sound super sexy. Well, please send him my compliments. It was I will. a very astute move. And I will tell you that when Harper Collins sent me a pitch to have you on the radio show, I wasn't sure because I didn't know what you were really going to talk about. And yeah. I thought human hacking, creativity. I don't, and then I said, don't send me the pitch. Send me, send me a sample of his book. Send me his, the PDF, the ebook. And I read it. I couldn't put the darn thing down. Thank I said, you. I wrote right back to, to Rachel Alinsky. I said, get him for me. I have an opening <laughs> on February 15th. I want him. I was so impressed. That was a great strategy. Chris, a, a beautiful strategy. We're going to talk more about what you do and about the benefits of human hacking, the good parts, and yes. about your pledge in your book. So I appreciate that. John Tebow, I would love for you to introduce yourself right now. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what you do and, and what instrument were you playing in that teenage rock band? I got to know, John. Talk to me. <laughs> uh, lead guitar, actually. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, we were, you know, 14, 15, 16, and... Uh, really just playing other people's songs and uh, going out and making a couple hundred bucks a night or something at local churches and small clubs. But it was fun, you know. Um, it was a, a fun thing to do. And how did you get into writing 21 screenplays and novels? Come on, where, where, how, what's the dotted line where we want to know about? You know, at some point, I thought to myself as I graduated from high school, am I going to make a career out of music? And I decided that that would not happen. So I ended up being really interested in television and film and the media and did undergraduate uh, in media studies. And then later um, at UCLA was in the uh, graduate film school. And it was from that, after I'd done a lot of production, I was an intern on different sets and doing production. I decided, you know, the, the real sort of genesis of this is when people start coming up with ideas and writing screenplays. And the task there, every quarter we had to write a screenplay. You had to write, at that time it was 40 or 50 pages. And the first quarter I turned in one for 120 pages. And they said, oh, A student, keep moving along. <laughs> <laughs> so from that I realized I could write screenplays every, whatever, four, five, six months. And got into a rhythm of writing them pretty quickly, and just generated a lot of movie ideas. How many a month did you say? You just, you just completely blew this conversation out of the water. No, one every, every six months. One every six months. Yeah, four to five to six months, right. So I, one every six you months. Almost stopped, you almost stopped the show. I've never heard of anybody writing that much, that, that prolifically. Although I have met novelists. John and Chris, who say that they've got several projects going at the same time, like three or four or five books. I know, Chris. And uh, I don't know if you both know, but there's there are two terms. Brit the Brits use this, British writers, and one is called a pantser or a plotter, if you're mm -hmm. going to write a novel. You know that term, John? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. A pantser? Sit down and write, see to your pants, Chris, whatever you <laughs> feel like. You're right. I'm going to write 200 words today, or I'm going to write a chapter. I'm going to write whatever I feel like. A plotter has the outline of the book all set out. And then they just go in and fill in the blanks. Okay, chapter three, I was going to say this about this. I think I'll write down and write chapter three. Oh, chapter one. I don't know if you have to do it in order if you're a plotter, John. Have you used that method, John Tebow? I've actually used both, yeah. And I'm really familiar with it. Um, and I would say that I'm kind of somewhere in between because I've done it both ways. Um, although I find that I was going to share this analogy with you. Yeah. Because I, I told you recently that I started playing around with painting. My kids had a, uh, a little easel from the third grade. And I took it from the attic and said, oh, let me just play with this with watercolors. But I think it's sort of the same thing. You sketch a rough idea. You just mm -hmm. put something in there. And it's not really formed yet. 
And then you just add a little bit more and then come back to it and do it again and do it again. And something happens, you know. Um, my, the latest novel I worked on actually came from, I was driving down the street and I just had a, I went by a local school near me and I heard this voice where two kids were fighting. They weren't fighting in the yard. They were fighting in my head. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> from that, I thought like the guy said, I'm going to kill you. You, what do you do? What did you do? Blah, blah, blah. You know? And I thought, wow, like, what is that voice? Why is he so angry? Who is the other kid? And then from that, ended up just asking a series of questions. And that became the genesis for this novel, which will probably get released next year. Very, very interesting. By the way, I started painting about a year and a half ago. When I moved here to Durham, I got a flyer that Michaels was having a sale on a paint kit. It was a whole, Chris, it was a whole portfolio and, and John, it was like a, a carrying case. And it had brushes and pens and crayons and chalks and samples of canvas and paper and a couple of how-to books and watercolors. I bought the thing. Was it 59 bucks? Stuck it in the closet. Two years later, I said to myself, I think I want to take it out of the closet. It took another month. I took it out of the closet, put it on a stool in the kitchen, big, big kitchen. And I thought, okay. And then about a month later, I unzipped the thing. And I said, oh, that's interesting. And I zipped it back up again. And a month later, I started taking stuff out and looking. And I said, that's interesting. And I started grabbing some paper from my office here and dabbling with watercolors. Well, fast forward about a year and a half later, I have over 100 paintings wow. in my and I've gone from watercolors with using rulers. I like a lot of geometrics, collages with bits and pieces of candy wrappers and wrappers from anything you would have in your kitchen from from uh, vegetable cans of vegetables, which I, I usually buy them in the can. But interesting wrappers, cutting out bits and pieces and adding them and gold, gold stuff, sparkles. But I recently got into paint pouring. And acrylic paint pouring is fast. I, I painted five pieces on Sunday in between binge watching Line of Duty, which you might both enjoy very much. It's a BBC series filmed in Ireland, but interesting. The accents you can understand. But I digress. You're right, John, that, that, that there's a creative, there's almost a need to take something in your head. I'll wake up and I'll say, okay, I want to do something with a flower in the middle or a rainbow. I just get this inspiration. It's like hearing the kids' voices. Chris, I'm, I'm going to get into a different type of creativity with you. First of all, do you have any hobbies, anything singing, dancing, painting, uh, playing the flute? I don't know. Any, anything you do? I tend to bees. I have, I, have a, I have a beehive in my backyard. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I love you bees. You two keep stopping me cold. <laughs> you love bees. Okay. I love bees, and I love honey, and I decided I'm going to – have bees. So I bought a beehive and taught myself and watched a bunch of videos online. And we just got 26 pounds of honey out of the thing. So oh, 26 yeah. pounds of honey. Well, I'll tell you my favorite recipe for salmon. I buy a lot of salmon at the grocery store on Saturdays, about a half in, half pound or, or three quarters of a pound fillets. I saute it in a, in a large pan with a little bit of oil, olive oil, sometimes and Johnny seasoned salt and balsamic vinegar. And then that to moisten good. the pan, wait a minute, I'm not done. I'm getting to the punchline here, which <laughs> involves you. I'll put a little bit of uh, organic chicken stock in to just keep it from burning because the balsamic has a, a low heating point and it'll, it'll go. It's got sugar in it and it'll dry out. And then I drizzle honey over the salmon. Anybody coming for dinner? <laughs> yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> and, and then I either have pasta or a cauliflower mashed potatoes or plain mashed or something, and I will drizzle the juice over whatever the side dish is and eat the salmon just barely done. And that's somebody taught me that recipe years ago. So, And what I do 
Chris, with the little, you know, the honey bear jars you buy in the store, mm-hmm. which I'm sure are not the quality of, I'm not mentioning <laughs> brands of what you do, but when I'm done with them, instead of throwing them out, I fill them with water. I put a couple drops of food coloring in and I have a deep windowsill in my kitchen where I grow a lot of plants in addition to a greenhouse on my screen porch. So the plants that need to be starters are the ones that need a lot of care. I keep them on the kitchen windowsill. I put these little honey bears with the colored water in them in between the plants as a space. And when I've got a whole army <laughs> of honey bears, I have a green one. I have a pink one. I have a red one. I have a yellow one. I have a purple one. Just so you know. So I saved. I haven't thrown out a honey. Anyway, I'm digressing. I have to ask you, Chris, let's talk about, and John mentioned questions. I want you to bring up four questions, Chris, in your book, and we'll do the famous people in the holidays in a little while. You said when you meet someone for the first time, they need to quickly and deftly answer these four baseline questions about you before they're going to trust you, they're going to like you, they're going to want to talk to you. They have to feel relaxed and comfortable in order for you to get something from them. Can you do you have the questions in front? I'm sure you know them by heart. I know them. Yes, Chris, do do the questions. I think John's going to be very intrigued with this. I've never seen this before, and this is the core, some of the core principles in addition to empathy of human hacking. So, Chris, would you take us through a little primer or a primer, if you will, about human hacking? I'd love to hear it. Go ahead. So, the first question is who you are. Now, we don't want to get confused by that. That doesn't mean I need to walk up to a stranger and say, I'm Chris Hadnagy. I'm a hacker or I'm an author. (laughs) It's not that. I'll, I'll give you an example in a second. So, it's who are you? What do you want? How long will this take? And are you a threat? So, let's think about this. You know, let's just say John is the person I want to interact with and John's at a bookstore. So I walk in and I say to John, let's say he's with a child, his grandkid, kid, somebody like that. And I look over and I say, hey, can you help me for a quick second? I'm late to a birthday party. And my nephew is about the same age as as your child there. What are kids this age like? Now, if you think about that, I just told them every one of those four things. Who am I? I'm a guy who needs help finding a gift. What do I want? Help finding a gift. How long will this take? I got to be out of here. I'm already late for a party. Am I a threat? I'm a guy buying a gift for a kid. Of course, I'm not a threat. And with those one sentence, I've now lowered all of John's red flags and guards. And now I can build rapport and influence him in, in any way possible. Interesting. Now, in your book, and thank you for that. In your book, you talk about what your wife did on an <laughs> airline line at an airline counter Remember when we could fly and go to airports, gentlemen, remember? Yes, we're now in February 2021. We're still there, still not there yet. And your wife did something, said something to the the lady who was behind the counter, the airline clerk or, or ticket agent, I'll call her. And something happened. Can you take us through that scenario? I think John's going to be very intrigued. And John, you could use this in one of your novels. I'm giving you permission. <laughs> Maybe not exactly the way Chris says it, but the, the nugget the nugget of intrigue is there. Go ahead, Chris. Tell us okay. what happened. So I, we were walking into Heathrow. We had been had a long trip in the U.K., and I hit this little bump in the tile and all my bags fell. And I'm one of those guys, you know, I think I'm kind of like you, Red, where I, I'm pretty loud and boisterous in public and not too, <laughs> not too embarrassed. I'm just saying, not too embarrassed. I think, you know, we're from New York. I'm from New York, too. I think yeah, yeah. we got the same mentality, right? So I make a joke of it. I say, oh, dumb American accent on the M5. And everybody laughs because, you know, Americans said something about M5, whatever. And I notice this lady behind the counter starts laughing. So I said to my wife, oh, she's the one 
we want to go to because she's in a good mood. So most of the time, those poor flight ladies and guys, they're all in a bad mood because everyone's yelling at them. But she was smiling. So we go up to the counter. My wife is not in this field. She doesn't know anything. She knows a lot about it because of me, but she doesn't know. She doesn't do this for a living. She's just naturally the nicest person on the planet Earth. So she starts complimenting this woman's makeup and saying how beautiful it is and how she matched it to her scarf. And she loves the colors. And I just see this woman's face. It's smiling. It's lit up. She is so happy. There is like oxytocin dripping from her nose. It's like she has got all the good brain chemicals going on. And that's when I go into human hacker mode. Now, the part you said about empathy, I think is important because Mm -hmm. at this point, I can try to manipulate something out of her, but I want to be ethical at all times. So I used influence. And the way you do that is by giving her a choice. So instead of now, if I said to her, hey, can you upgrade us? I'm forcing her either to say yes uncomfortably or to say no to her new best friend, my wife. By giving her a choice, I'm allowing her to reward us and give us a gift, which is very rewarding in the brain. Dopamine and oxytocin get released. So I leaned over onto my wife and I said, hey, we probably can't afford it. I've looked at the prices, but is there any way we can upgrade? Can you give me a price? Like, are there any cheap tickets to upgrade? Because we're all the way in goat class. And I make a joke, right? We're in coach. You know, is there any way we can upgrade? This woman doesn't even look at me. She starts typing and she looks right at my wife and she goes, I'm giving you all first class tickets. Now this is Virgin Atlantic first class. And I, and now the normal response, people want to go, no, no, you can't do that. Not me. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like how much do I owe you? And she's like, it's a gift for you, for for your family. Now that's my wife, my daughter and I, so three of us. And we get to go to the Heathrow Virgin lounge with you ever been in that thing. That's like the Taj Mahal of lounges. It's unbelievable. (laughs) I'm enjoying free like 15-year-old whiskey. My wife's getting a massage. My daughter's (laughs) playing video games. I'm like, this is the best thing that ever happened. We tried that six more times and it worked four out of six. Yeah. Let that sink in. John, have you ever tried anything like that to get an upgrade? Not exactly, but my, uh, my wife has the same kind of personal empathetic quality with other people. And it doesn't matter where she is. They will just come up to her and start talking to her. They don't talk to me, but they will go to her. Oh, so yeah. I consider her my social uh, accomplice for that. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. And and I want to, I'm going to get into how you write your novels because I loved your writing style, John. I read you sent me a synopsis. By the way, I have to do a shout out to, to the people who upgraded Apple to Big Sur data because it no longer allows you to use Kindle. Kindle crashes mm. in 30 seconds. You can uh-huh. no longer read Kindle. And there are a lot of questions online and they haven't given us that permission. But thank you for sending me a synopsis of one of your books, John. I devoured it. He sent me about 20 pages and it was great. We'll talk about that in a second. Chris, in the opening of your book, where you had that scaling the wall and going and breaking into on purpose, a facility that was supposed to be very, very, very well guarded and tight. You say in the book that before you and your person who was with you before you approached that fence with that ladder on that dark and scary mm-hmm. night, you had already gotten information. You had already found out passwords and entry points and the time, kind of security they had and where the guard stations were and what the schedule was. Did you use these four questions to get that information? Oh, yeah. So uh, one of the things that we did was um, we, we found online there was an announcement about a groundbreaking ceremony. So we had someone from my office call 
and just say, hey, I'm the secretary for Mr. So-and-so, and he's a newscaster in the area. He's coming out for the groundbreaking. I have a few questions. Now, if you think about that opening statement, who are you? Secretary for Mr. So-and-so. What do you want? I have a few questions. How long will this take? Well, it's a few questions, so not that long. Am I a threat? No, I'm a known person. So we answer those four questions off the bat all the time. We try to do it within one or two sentences of starting. Mm -hmm. And that allows the person to lower any, um, any type of guard. Ellen Langer, she's a psychologist. She talks about alpha mode and beta mode and how when you're in alpha mode, you're kind of autopilot. You just do your job and you don't think about it. Beta modes when you think. I want people to be in alpha mode because as soon as they start thinking, they're going to start to question the things I'm saying. So if I can answer those questions quickly, they stay in autopilot and then we can accomplish our job. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting the way you use it. I just typed some notes in for John to take a look because I think he was writing some of this down. He might use some of this in one of his books, which is why we're all here talking. Email me, John. I'll be more than happy to give you info. Yeah, and okay. it's in the invitation right. that I sent you both, your, your email. About Thank you very much. So, John, I want to go to you. Your writing style, compelling, crisp, to the point, you paint a picture, you leave no stone unturned in terms of details, where and when and who and the why we still don't know. But let me see, I'm looking at the intro here to Deadly Series and I have a question for you. You call it Deadly Series as a beautiful picture of a lovely woman lying in the grass and she has blonde hair and she has, has her hands up above her face and there's a man bending down to kiss her and the grass is green and lovely that's all you see is just her just basically from the top of her shoulder and the man from his shoulders and she's holding him as he bends it's a very intimate and the name of the book is deadly serious and here's what i want to ask you about john the subtitle or the explanation i don't think it's the subtitle is a psychological mystery I don't know if I've ever seen that on a thriller before. John, what does that mean? How did, how did you decide to put that on the front of your book? Well, these things change a lot. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so you, you test them a lot. And I actually have to give kind of a shout out to a, uh, an editor who last year read the, uh, the draft copy, got really interested in it and said, let's publish this book. So mm. we had it self-published on Amazon. I pulled it back. And, and Circle Publications is re-releasing it um, coming up in, uh, at the end of May. So they're probably going to change the cover, but it's been a really fun experience working. I'm sure Chris knows this. It's a really fun experience working with an editor who comes back and says, oh, let's fix this or change that or correct some of the minor things. So the idea was it is a, and again, you, you, would, you would relate to this, a stand-up comic mm-hmm. who discovers this dark secret and then can't but help himself and kind of get it out to the public. But it's his undoing because he's releasing information that it's funny because you're talking about hacking here. He's releasing information that he shouldn't be releasing. He's doing it in public. And it's, you know, I've been listening to a lot of stand-up comics recently and you realize they have shrinks, they're paranoid, they say crazy (laughs) things and they say the kinds of things that everybody thinks are politically incorrect, you know, completely. Oops, what happened? Uh, did he freeze? Go ahead. I don't know. Did I? Yeah, you froze for a second there. It flipped over to, to Josh, my engineer. Oh. Well, go ahead, John. Continue. Okay. So talk about stand-ups. Keep going. Yeah, so he's a stand-up comic. He sees a murder of 
And then the physicist thinks he's a contact, gives him this package. And then from that point on, he's hunted down and just he feels paranoid, but he should feel paranoid. And, you know, the CIA brings in someone to sort of protect him, who is this girl. And they have this very troubled uh, (laughs) relationship back and forth over time. And it's kind of like foretelling that his own downfall is going to come. And so we, we learn about the mystery. We learn what's going on. And um, I don't know. I, I was just intrigued. I was going to LA uh, comedy clubs for a while. And that's where part of the idea came from. You know, just the crazy things that these guys do. I love it. I did stand up for, for a few years on Long Island, Chris and John, and I had my own troupe. My first name with the letter G and Du Bois, D-A-B-O-Y-Z. And what's interesting is we performed in Borders bookstores and we performed in public libraries. And I had a partner for a while and she and I got cash from the Borders stores and we got gift certificates as part of our, our payment. And we handed gift certificates to all of the comedians and as we had 10 people in the troupe. And what's interesting was that they were thrilled because these are comics who weren't getting paid anywhere. We weren't asking them to go to a smoky nightclub in the middle of New York, although they would have loved to have killed on a stage like that, no no pun intended, with thriller novels or hacking or anything, gentlemen. And we gave them gift certificates, so they went shopping in the store and bought books, they bought CDs, and they loved it. Uh, we got thrown out of Borders at one point because we were so successful, nobody was buying coffee. 250 people piled into the cafe on a Memorial Day weekend to hear my troupe at one point, and they were not happy with us. So we, we did the rounds, and they said, what are you doing? You're killing our sales. And we're bringing people into the store. It's not my fault if they're not buying coffee and cake. Anyway, it was standing. People brought their own beach chairs. It, it was, a, it was a right. It was listed in Newsday on Long Island as one of the free events to go to on that Memorial Day. It was a long, long, long time ago. I won't give anything away. I want to read with your permission, just a little bit from chapter one. John, may I? Sure. Absolutely. Okay. So this is Connecticut, 1990. And this, this, Predates, let me see, chapter two goes to chapter two. This is after chapter two, and chapter two is uh, 1980 LA. So this is after, it doesn't predate. So you start out with where it is now. He says, a black swan landed on the frozen pond, turning ice wafers blood red. A stand of fir trees blocked a cold and darkening sky. The snow continued to fall, thick, impenetrable except for the distant cry of a flock of summer-bound geese. There was no sound at Winter Cove, only the hush of winter. The bearded stranger waited. The temperature plummeted. This is no, no place for an old man, he thought. Maybe this lunatic won't show up. His fingers and toes ached from the cold. He'd been lingering here for hours. Suvorov knew this would be his last act. After this, he would retire, maybe to some island in the South Pacific where no one would recognize him, a private place where he might lose himself among the natives, grow old, undisturbed, feign senility, and die. This he yearned for. Chris, what do you think? Beautiful? Yeah, it is. It's, you can picture it. John? I'm reading it, and I'm just closing my eyes, and I'm picturing it. John, every word is chosen to add, to answer the questions of who, what, where, but not yet why. That, that's the mystery. John, do you enjoy writing thrillers? And how many have you written? I, I think I read three, but how many have you written all together by now? Because this one goes back a couple of years. Well, for novels, just the three. And I have two more that I'm working on now. One is completely done. It's 90,000 words, but it needs editing. 
and then another one that's sort of in the early stages. I want to add one thing, though. Yeah. At the end of this uh, chapter, I have the book right here, by the way. Yes. Is uh, the last line after the CIA guy kills him, he said, he never looked forward to winter. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, I thought, I think it, it's hilarious. It's like, okay, he does all this stuff. He drags the body, puts it in the bush. And it's like, oh my God, just one more job. And like the, the lady is crying and screaming and everything. And he's like, hey, this is Saturday afternoon, you know, in this, in this incredible storm. So. I never look forward yeah. to winter. Very well written. Bravo to you, John. And since I can't get Kindle anymore, at least until Big Sur decides to be, be big and unanimous and generous again, uh, if you could get an ebook version to me for download. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, I would have- love it. We have copies, so I'll put you on the list and we'll get you one. That's I would right like there. that. Yeah. I would like that very, very much. So you know what, gentlemen? Let's have a little frivolity here, although we've been having a good time. Let's okay. do some famous birthdays. Chris wanted to contribute a famous birthday back in the 1800s. It was, what was her name, Disney? Lillian Disney. Yes, and she was? Walt Disney's wife, and she was also an illustrator. Very, very interesting. Thank you very much. And now let me give you some more current interesting. Only one has passed away. I try to give birthdays of people who are still alive, but we got one snuck in here. Jane Seymour, English-American actress, producer, and she's a jewelry designer. Talk about creativity. Matt Groening, uh, you know, he's an American animator, producer, and screenwriter, very well-known. Janice Dickinson, very well-known American model, agent, and author. I think she was involved in a scandal somewhere. Or I mean, she might have been the first, the first model on The Price is Right, I think, Janice Dickinson. Mm. I think so. Okay, we have Chris Farley. He passed away in 97, American comedian and actor, left his mark. I had to include this next one. His name is Birdman. He's an American rapper and producer born in 1969, just because, hey, anybody with a name like that deserves a birthday shout out. Happy birthday, Birdman. (laughs) And an actress named Alex Borstein. Anybody recognize the name? No. Oh. All right. You thinking, Chris? You going into that memory bank? I am, but I don't if know. If I why. say M M M M M M M M, if I say marvelous Mrs. Maisel. No, I wouldn't have. No, I don't know it then. I was thinking something She's else, the agent and she looks like a guy and she is very New Yorkish and she's <laughs> the she's the agent who's trying to get the marvelous Mrs. Maisel into comedy clubs. I can't remember her name in the series, but she's a voice artist, producer, screenwriter, Alex A-L-E-X Borstein, B-O-R-S-T-E-I-N, does a fabulous job on the show and I'm waiting for them to drop more episodes seriously let's do some holidays talk about frivolity i have holidays that mean absolutely nothing to most people but they're fun so let's do a couple of them today february 15th it is president's day yes and lincoln's birthday was the 12th and i believe washington's was originally the 22nd but they conglomerated the two holidays into (laughs) president's day there we go so today in a section in addition to that separate put that aside it's national gumdrop day and it's singles awareness day we don't need to do with the singles awareness Day, but let's talk about Gumdrop Day. Chris, have you ever had a had a Gumdrop in the past 20, 30 years? I mean, yes, when I was a kid, but I'm not a big fan of Gumdrops. <laughs> Me neither, John. What about you? I think the same thing. I kind of remember them being a little chewy, but it's yeah. been a long time. <laughs> Isn't Gumby supposed to be from a Gumby? The stretchy character isn't he something is to he do with a gumdrop? Gum? Gum? I don't know, but you know what gumdrops are used to decorate Christmas cookies, aren't they? And Christmas yeah. gingerbread people yeah, have gum yeah. and a gumdrop nose. 
Somebody in one of the songs had a gumdrop nose. I'm not going to sing anymore. I'll ruin the show. <laughs> Nobody will watch. Uh, tomorrow is Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday. Mm. It's also, get this, you have a choice. It's Almond Day. It's Pancake Day. And it's Pasky Day, P-A-Z-C-K-I. And LLL is of Polish descent, and she will know what I'm talking about, LLL, lovely, lanky, Laura Legs. Polish pastry, similar to a donut, sugary, combines glossy dough with a fruit filling. So mm. happy Pasky Day. I'm going to say that. Somebody's got a phone call coming in. Wednesday. John, you got to take that? I got to get rid of it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just let, put it under a pillow somewhere. Put Make it in your neck. And the phone my, rang in your... In your next plot. My, my 16-year-old daughter, she was uh, calling me about gumdrops, I think. <laughs> <laughs> tell her I said hi. Okay, Wednesday, you can tell her it's her day. It's National Random Act of Kindness Day. Oh, there you go. What do you think? Should a, we celebrate that, Chris? That's a nice one. I like that one. John, what do you think? Random Act of Kindness? Yeah, I like that. I like that. I think that's a good idea. I think if you're going to hack somebody, Chris, and you're going to use empathy to make them feel comfortable, you could do it as a random act of kindness. I'm Chris, and I'm here to make your day very special because I've done that a number of times. I need an upgrade to my plane seat, and you have a beautiful smile. And my wife wants to talk about where she can buy your scarf, and I'm harmless. And trust me, we could do that. Yes, I've done that too. Thursday, National Drink Wine Day. What's your favorite wine, John T. Bolt? Do you have a favorite wine? Um, I do. We're sort of leaning toward uh, Cabernet Justin, which is a uh, local, you know, Northern California wine. Yeah. Nice. Ed, Chris, favorite wine? I'm I'm a Italian wine, so anything from the Tuscan region, dry and red. The drier, the better. Red is good. I will tell you that Friday, February 19th, is National Chocolate Mint Day. Everybody get out the little Andes. Remember the little Andes candies and the green? green My wife will love that day. There you go. And it's Tug of War Day. I don't know if that's (laughs) a good or bad thing. I don't know what we're tugging. But Saturday is a special day. I will be at the National Publicity Summit for five hours interviewing more people trying to get on the show. But it's National Cherry Pie Day. I think that's in honor of... George Washington, Mm. whose birthday is Monday. It's Love Your Pet Day. It's National Muffin Day. And if those (laughs) don't give you enough reason, it's Rihanna's birthday. So Uh. we could love the pet. We could have a muffin in honor of Rihanna's birthday or a cherry pie. What do you think, Chris? What should we celebrate with, the muffins or the cherry pie? Um, I'm, I'm partial to cherries, so I would go with cherry pie. I would too. John, what do you think? How should we celebrate her birthday? I think muffins, Rihanna, you know, drive my car, (laughs) the whole thing. (laughs) And I will tell you that Sunday, February 21st, is a very special day. It's National Sticky Bun Day. Oh, those are good, yeah. Yeah, okay. So (laughs) we had had gumdrop day. We had pancake and almond day. We had drink wine day, chocolate mint day. We had cherry pie and muffins, and now we've got sticky buns. So it's a week of sugar. Let's just let's oh just leave, leave and then it. Is Sunday National Diabetes Day? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's 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 don't eat sugar on Sunday. Yeah, day. That, yeah. That's what it is. So let's talk a little bit about creativity. I want mm, take a sip of cold water here. Chris, let me start with you. Do you define yourself as a creative person? You didn't I know you've held a lot of jobs. You've talked yourself into job after job after job as a young man, jobs you had no qualifications for. Give us a little bit, if you don't mind, of your creativity. I don't want to inspire anybody the wrong way. But Chris, you you got into many jobs 
just by talking before you knew about human hacking, before you did what you do. So just tell us briefly, what were some of the jobs you got? And did you consider yourself, I'm a creative guy, get any job I want. What were you thinking? Yeah, I, I, I always had an interest in people. So I wanted to like understand what made people tick way before I knew about human hacking. And then I would see opportunities and take them. So the reason I, I think it's okay to talk about not, we're not steering people is I never lied about my abilities. I just, I put myself in the right place at the right time. You know, mm-hmm. I was, I was 16 and I owned a window cleaning company. And when I was in high school, two adult men would go out and make money for me. And when I was 17, <laughs> I became the vice landlord for a 25 unit apartment complex. In my young twenties, I was a chef and never was a chef in my life. Then I became an international negotiator for stainless steel in India and China. You know, I mean, like I just was in the right place at the right time and never worried about taking a risk. So I jumped in headfirst, took the risk and more often than not, it, it worked out. And even if it didn't, then I moved on and, you know, went and found something else. Did you consider yourself, you said you consider yourself a person who likes to talk to people and, yeah. and likes people and being fair. Okay. And, and did you say, wake up and say, I'm a creative person. I can do anything I want. What was your thought? I, I don't think I ever thought that back then. I think mm-hmm. if I look back on those stories now, I can say, yeah, I was pretty creative in the way that I approach things. But I think at the time I never sat there and went, I'm a creative person. I'm going to come up with these things. It was more necessity gave birth to invention kind of mm-hmm. thing, you know? Necessity is the mommy. Yes. Yeah. Abs- Very interesting. John, do you wake up and say, I'm a creative guy. I've done screenplays. I've written novels. I have factual books, nonfiction. What, what's your thought about creativity? And and I'm going to go back and ask Chris the next question. Is it in your DNA? Do you think you're born with it? Or do you think it's nurture versus nature? John? Yeah, I think it's intellectual curiosity and being eclectic mm-hmm. and open to this. And I think what Chris just said about being empathetic. So if you can imagine yourself doing something else or being in somebody else's position, I remember years ago when I was, as I was working on screenplays, I'd be at the airport and I would look at people. I mean, it's funny that, you know, Chris is doing that, but I would look at people and think like, who are they? What's their backstory? Where are they going? What are they doing? And just try to ascertain from that, as opposed to just saying, there's a guy in a black coat walking down and getting his ticket or, you know, whatever. And by, kind of being empathetic and trying to feel the small nuances of how they are, I think, I don't know, you can actually jump into their feeling. You know, I want to mention one thing. You mentioned this in my bio anyway, so I'm just going to touch on it. Mm -hmm. But um, I am a cancer survivor at this point. And when I had, I had a first surgery, which is a neck surgery at Stanford. And I remember coming out of that. And it, it was fascinating to me because when I came out, I remember touching my wife and some of the people who were visiting me. And it was unbelievable because when I, I literally, I just put my hand on them. I felt I could read their mind. It was like, you are so, and I I asked my surgeon about this afterward. He said, no, you are so raw at that point, whether it's, you know, post-surgery or, you know, having done chemo or whatever, but you are like really feeling other people. And I think, in that case, it was highly sensitive in terms of my ability to do that. It hasn't stayed with me because I can't go around and touch someone and read their mind, which <laughs> would have been fun to do. <laughs> but it was really intriguing because it was a real feeling at the time. And it's that kind of 
extending your boundaries and being empathetic and understanding other people that I think allows you to be curious about them and you and the world. And, you know, then you just go from there. I think curiosity has a lot to do with it. Chris is creativity as we're talking about it today. No formal definition needed. Is it nature or nurture? Do you think you were born with that people affinity wanting to talk and move around and get to know people? Or do you think it's something you picked up from your environment, your family, your teachers? What's your thought? I think it's nurtured. You know, I think um, I look at, I look at my children and I see a difference in both of them. And I can definitely see where I raised them different. Um, You know, not one better or worse, but just one, my second child, my daughter, I was more experienced. So less rules, you know, more free, less things bother you kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. she has more of that free creative spirit. And I look at, um, you know, my, my first book that I wrote ever, and I compare it to my latest book. And I go, well, there's a huge difference in between from book one to book five. There's a massive difference in between those. And I think that that, I would say nurtured because I feel like that creativity came out of me over the 11 years of being an author um, or more because I, I, I think I saw some of the effect of the work and it started to breed ideas. And I said, oh, I'm going to try this. And then when it worked, I wrote that down. And then when that worked, I wrote that down. And eventually I had enough to go, I'm going to, I'm going to write a book about all this because I tried these things and they worked. And I think that was nurtured into me. And I think there probably has to be some level of it that has to be built in because some people may just not care, but I feel a lot of it is, is nurturing. Thank you very much. I, I don't know what my stand is. Um, Hmm. I think some people are just born to be a little easygoing and like to talk to people. I was extremely shy as a child at certain points, very shy, I don't think I was comfortable crossing the street till I was eight or nine years old. I don't know. I, I know I had to cross the street to go to the school bus when I was five, but um, I remember being very, very shy. However, I played the piano at my sixth grade graduation in front of the whole school at PS 98 in Douglaston, Long Island. And that was one of the things. And then I took a, a speech class, a speaking class, not, not how do you talk, but speech giving in seventh or eighth grade. And I stood up in front of the class and, and read a bread baking recipe I'd gotten from the joy of cooking. And I delivered it in a storyish way. And I didn't want to sit down when I was done. And I said, this is really, really cool. This is, this is a way to communicate. And then I went into my shell and, and, and sat in the back mm-hmm. of the class in college and didn't even, didn't even want a teacher to call on me. I think, uh, I think a teacher in seventh grade had insulted one of my answers and that <laughs> shut me down for years. You understand, John? You understand, mm-hmm. Chris? Yes, those wonderful yeah. people who who form form us into the adults we're supposed to be or we're trying to be. Yeah. And she made fun of an answer and had the whole class laugh at me. And that was it for years and years and years. And here I am doing radio yeah. and it's so much fun. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, I wanted to ask you, Chris, you said you wrote some other books. I, I'm not familiar with those. Any novels in there? What do, what do you no, write? No, no. So actually my very first book, um, uh, well, if we go back 12 or 14 years ago, no one on earth was doing social engineering as a career. This wasn't mm-hmm. something that even existed. It was criminals that did it. And I wrote the world's first framework for it. So I wanted to teach people how to do it. But before you could teach anything, um, I had to have a framework that defined what it was. 
So I wrote a framework and that framework came out and then I got a call from a publisher and she asked me to write the first book on how to. So I wrote that book. It was called Social Engineering, the Art of Human Hacking. Um, and then <clears throat> after that, I had the privilege of working with a couple people and writing some really great books about nonverbals and, and micro expressions, uh, then a book on phishing. And then my fourth book was a rewrite of my first book because it was um, a phishing, not, uh, sorry, I, I should have defined that, not phishing like real and rod, mm -hmm. phishing like pH, like, like emails, like the psychology behind that. And then my fourth book was a rewrite of my first one because it was old and not really good uh, called Social Engineering, the Science of Human Hacking. And then my fifth book is this one, which is a much more broad audience because of um, the things that I learned along the way. Thank you very much. I have to tell you what I read in your book, Chris, reminds me of a TV series. I'm not quite binging. I'm watching one or two episodes a day. It's called Hustle. And Hustle starred um, Adrian Lester, who left the show for about a year and a half and came back. I just started, I think, season five. I'm trying to look for when it started. I think it was in the 2006, 2007 range. Robert Vaughn from The Man from Uncle is one of the stars uh -huh. and some other actors I'm not that familiar with. They're Brits. And they do long cons. Each episode is a separate con. It's fascinating. Mm -hmm. And there's a little sleight of hand. You don't see until the very end how they pulled the con off. And yeah. they only con greedy people or mean, nasty people yeah. who have money or something they want. You get something, you get something from someone for something. You, I don't know. There's a way they spin the getting something for nothing, getting nothing for some getting. Yeah. You give nothing for something and you get something for nothing. So the idea is that Chris and John, somebody walks in with a uniform Oh, Miss Smith, uh, this beautiful office building. You're the receptionist. You must have a very important job. And and I'm here. I'm Bob Smith from We Are Cleaners of big office buildings. And we're here to do the quarterly maintenance. Just, oh, you're not on a schedule. What do you mean? Bob didn't. And they've already checked the directory to see who the who the executives are. Bob didn't. Oh, I know Bob's out of town, but I, I'm surprised he didn't tell you. But it's really important because we don't want to yank the CO for the building. We, you need to keep in business here. You've got a lot of people here. We'll just be about, a, it'll take about two hours. Uh, would you please let me upstairs? Oh, of course, of course, Mr. Bob, whatever his name is. Then they go up, they bring up a suitcase with supposedly what all the stuff is that they're using to do the inspection. And they put in pictures of computers and they take over the office. And he says, by the way, uh, somebody's coming in about an hour and he'll be asking for me. Would you send him up to suite 602? And she sends up 602 and it's it's the mark they're trying to con. So they get houses this way. They get yachts this way. They get boats this way. They put on a uniform. They act with great confidence that they are supposed to be there, Chris. Supposed to be there. And they give just enough information to be able to pass the basically the sniff test of who in the hell are you? I've never met you. And why am I doing this? And they get people to give them so much. It's, it's amazing. It's a less, if you haven't seen it, it's hustle. And I'm looking for when it was, and he plays Mickey bricks and it's a BBC show and it's just absolutely fascinating. So just take a look. Adrian Lester starred for the first two seasons. And as I said, Robert Vaughn, who is elegant and his name is Albert Stroller. 
in the series. Take a look. There are a lot of TV shows called Hustle, but this is a beauty because each episode contains a separate hustle. We've got four minutes left. So let's do a quick wrap up here. I've so enjoyed speaking with both of you. You're both such such sharp and smart and creative creatives. And I did say the title here was Inventing Creativity or Embracing Your Inventive Creativity. I consider you both inventive because, Chris, you invented a lot of careers you really didn't have qualifications for, but through smooth talking and empathy and friendliness, you got them and you created out of your curiosity about human hacking, you created a successful business, perhaps an empire, teaching the world. You're helping people. You mentioned in the book, there are people who are spending a lot of money to take one of your classes and you wrote the book to help them so they didn't have to, you know, people who were introverts, people who needed a job, people who needed a promotion, people who needed a way to get along with their kids, teachers with their students, all kinds of ways. And John, you have been from, I, I still can't get over that you were writing a screenplay every six months. You absolutely blew, blew my mind. I wrote yeah. a couple of plays and I think it was about five days about a year apart and I produced them for my my public access TV show in New York and once on stage with a live live cast it not in a in a green screen studio and a lot of fun so I admire what you're doing John I'm going to ask you to send me the ebook because I really want to read Deadly Serious I, yeah. I was intrigued and I love your style and both of you the way you started your book Chris was like a novel Bravo to your editor. And John, the way you start your novel is a novel. <laughs> and, and you reeled me in. I was so curious. The description, the beautiful scenery, the dead bird, the shot, the blood, the cold, the, the punchline. I never really liked winter. Very, 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 very cool. Very well done. And I, I want to read kind. more. From, I'm not too kind. I was telling <laughs> Chris before you joined, he said, thanks for, for enjoying my book. I said, no, thank you for writing a good book. <laughs> I read a lot of books and it's my pleasure to spend my time reading something that's quality. So I thank both of you for that. And John, it was such a pleasure to meet you at the summit. I appreciate the two and a half minutes we spent together. And Chris, thank you to Rachel Alinsky for introducing us. She, She did a good pitch and by sending the book, your book grabbed me. It really, really did. Thank so you. I have a cup. Thank you. I have a couple of things to talk about here. I have some. I went back and found my notes from this radio show before it was Read My Lips about eight years ago. And I'm going to close with some of the things I used to close with. They might be a little mushy gushy for the two of you. Mm-hmm. But, but quickly, in one sentence, John, you have to leave your house. I give you a box 12 by 12. It's either inches or feet. You decide. And what two things would go into that box? Chris, you get ready. What two things would go in the box besides your cell phone and your car keys? What would go in the box? John, if you had to leave right now. A DRB. Okay. A disaster recovery box that includes all the key things that are hard to replace. Very well done. Chris, what would be in the box? Man, mine was very lame. I have two bottles of very expensive whiskey that I would save out of all the others. That's what I put in the box. <laughs> and find the guy who makes the, the uh, fake labels for wine from the 1700s is in one of the cons <laughs> in, the, in Hustle. There's a, there's a wine episode. So here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to just end it this way. And I think you'll, you'll appreciate this, gentlemen. Life is short. Break the rules. Right, Chris? Right, John? Break yes, the rules. Ma'am. Forgive quickly. Kiss slowly. My favorite kind, telling too much information here. Love truly from your heart. Laugh uncontrollably and never forget. Regret. Never regret or forget anything that makes you smile. And here's the punchline. Work like you don't need the money. Dance like no one's watching. But I was a dance teacher and I love when people watch. Sing like nobody's listening, but I'm a drummer now and I don't sing when I drum. And love like you've never been hurt. Money talks. Chocolate sings. Last but not least, and this is a line I stole from another radio host. 
Thank you for turning me on. Radio Red saying bye-bye. Thank you, Chris Hadnagy. Such a pleasure, John Tebow. Don't go away. We're going to take some pictures. And thank you. Say thank you to Josh, my engineer. Thank you, Josh, Josh, my engineer. You rock. Everybody, be well. See you next Monday on Read My Lips. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Read My Lips Radio, presented by the Voice America Variety Channel. Tweet your questions and comments to at Radio Red 777. Join host, a.k.a. Radio Red, again next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We wish you a positively cool, creative week.